Welcome to the CTO studio. This week I talked to Sergei Sundukovsky, CTO, CPO, advisor, mentor type person, founded a company, co-founded a company called uh, Raken. And we just have a great conversation about uh, the formula of startups and how to manage and keep healthy development teams. So enjoy. Well, I have a wonderful electronic invention I want you to see. see, see. It, it looks something like this. Welcome to the CTO Studio. I'm your host, Etienne de Bruin. The CTO Studio is where we chat with CTOs building amazing products with incredible teams. Have you chatted with a CTO lately? Sergei Sundovsky? That's, that's close, close enough. enough. I just had it right, though. Yeah, you had it right a couple of minutes what ago. What is it? Sandikovsky. Sandikovsky. Welcome to the CTO studio. Even though we're not at home, we're in LA. Do you Thank live in LA? Uh, no, I live in Orange County. Okay. Whereabouts? Um, I live in Irvine. Okay. But your startup, Raken, is based in Carlsbad? Uh, yes, it's in Carlsbad and it's close enough to uh, San Diego, and I'm more or less centrally positioned to, uh, to go uh, any place I want in LA and uh, go to San Diego. So tell us about Raken, because I, I love the people you're serving and the solutions you're providing. All right. Well, what can I tell you about Raken? For all intents and purposes, Raken is a field management solution. If that sounds too, too esoteric, I'm going to going to break that down. So um, we service construction industry. So if you could think of a, you can think of you building a 10 story building for all intents and purposes, you're basically need to keep track of what's going on, on the job construction side on the daily basis, superintendents and job foremen, which is basically people who are supervising their activities. Sounds like a logistical nightmare. It definitely is a logistical nightmare, especially if you don't keep track of things accurately. And you usually realize that there are issues where, when you're off, off target, when you're not on time, not on target, and especially if something happens, because you can get sued up to 10 years from completion of the project. And so are you saying that uh, companies that use Raken would be able to predict completion dates based there, on... There's certainly some predictability aspect to it. We present a dashboard and we see how you're tracking against, uh, against your schedule. If you've ever been on the job construction side... Um, uh, job construct uh, construction projects all together are broken down into roughly into three uh, three separate buckets and three separate buckets of activities. There's a lot of prep time that you have to do for the project, and if you've been on the job construction side, you go to the trailer and you will see an enormous Gantt chart, and it will tell you when things are what you need to do in order for you to kick off the project. Then there is a project uh, a building stage, and then there is a transition stage. So we definitely service uh, the building stage and the completion and the transition stage. During the building phase of the project, you basically need to make sure you're on you're mm, on time, and mm. so things are, go back to the trailer and you check things against the the Gantt chart and make sure that things need don't need to be adjusted and the, and you're on time. Do you, so is it basically can one say it's project management software for construction projects with field tools and tell that's that's exactly right the different approach that Reagan has taken <clears throat> normally construction projects are driven 
from that from that trailer. They're driven from the office, right? So that you can roughly split it between field management and what occurs on the on the daily basis on the job construction side and what occurs in the office. So typically and you can imagine that's pretty logical. Other industries are in a similar way. The project gets conceived in the office and it gets planned out in the office. But what Raken has taken a different approach. We basically we service the field. We allow the field workers to do what they need to do to keep track of activities because they would rather, if things are too complicated for them, they would rather mm. do nothing mm. than uh, than use a complicated piece of and software. And is that is that a challenge for Raken to get field workers to use the app? Because you've it, got to take your phone out of your pocket, right? You have to take your phone out of your pocket, but that's uh, that that subset of the time that it would otherwise take you to document things because because project managers they do insist that you document what happens. So most of the time, in the absence of Reagan, you would have to you would have to sit down for two hours at the end of the mm. day and document what occurs, mm. and then do a tear out of a journal, and you would pass it on to the office, and they would staple it to a large binder. And that, that's where it, hmm. where it would sit. And only time when, when you would open it up, it's either when you're not on time or five years after you completed the building, a pipe has burst and you're now facing, you're, in the, uh, you're against the working end of the lawsuit and you need to figure out what to do. And otherwise, and then you drudge up the documentation and you see it's insufficient and you lose. Crazy. Can I put my next software project in Reiken? Uh, absolutely. We're not targeting the <laughs> software development. It's a whole different area. But uh, if you were so inclined, you could. But we we're staying more or less myopically focused. Uh, uh-huh. We, you know, we're in service to the construction industry, and we feel that that's where we're most suited. How did that happen? Uh, how did you come up with the idea and do that? I was a I was a late stage co-founder for the company, so the idea was not mine. It was uh, Kyle Slager, who was uh, who's the founder, not was he is the founder of Raken. Now, as you know, ideas typically come from two different sources. So either you've been in the industry forever, and uh, then you figure out that you know there must be a better way to do a particular thing. So you just tell yourself, 10 years from now, I'm going to start my own business and you do it. So they come from industry insiders. Sometimes they do come from the industry outsiders. And typically that happens. 99% of the cases where you ask, why do you do things a certain way? There's a logical reason. But then there's that 1% where, you know, it's just how it's always been done. So there's a set of limiting beliefs. And if you've been in the industry for a very long time, that's what happens. You have a set of limiting beliefs, and uh, and you just you just don't see a better way. And uh, Kyle, Kyle, with the, um, working on several projects, not on construction projects, but his dad is a large general contractor. And when he saw that there's an efficiency in terms of uh, documentation, uh, it was the kernel of the idea, and that's how it got kicked off. Okay, and can you can you help me understand? As a CTO with sort of a rich history in software development, management, leadership, and I think a few CTO positions before this yeah. one, how did you, what, what checklist did you have in your brain that said, okay, I, as CTO, I would like to join this, this startup? Absolutely. So I approached this. Um, I met Kyle through a, um, through a common acquaintance uh, one year into my earnout from a sale 
of a previous company to Capital One. So I, I knew at a certain point, you, you know how it is. You you sell the company and, and you make you, you have some choices to make. I had a two-year earnout, and after a year, I knew I was going to go do another startup. So you have several choices. You can either join an existing startup, you can... You can start up something of your own, or you can, like I said, or you could you could join somebody else, or or basically stay with a corporate job. I decided not to stay with a corporate job, and through the introduction, um, it started out as you know the old adage: ask for advice, get money; ask for money, get advice. And uh, so I initially it started out as sort of an advising thing, but we started working together um, initially in an advising capacity. And as soon as I as soon as I exited. Uh, Capital One. At the end of my earnout, I joined as a CTO. My my approach, though, to the since I do a lot of mentoring through incubators and accelerators, I'm a anchor mentor for Google. I see a lot of startups, and I worked out a system for myself in terms of how do I judge. And the system is not any different than you would have for any any investor out there. Now, you look at the you look at the idea, and you look at the you look at the market and you make sure that people who are involved with the, with the company has a tr- have a track record of execution and all of those check boxes uh, checked for me and, and so this wasn't this wasn't a difficult decision so like i said i approached it as an investor what i also i also go far beyond what the what the cto how uh, far beyond um, cto capabilities so i i analyze things from a product perspective and i i also assume the product um Product position as well, and as well as as well as some of the reach into marketing. So I, my idea and kind of understanding of the market initially was pretty nascent, but then over time I kind of built up uh, expertise um, in the construction industry, and the rest is history. Mm, and uh, at Riken, you're also the chief product officer, right? That's right. I love companies where the CTO is also responsible for the product. And to me, CTO, um, there's a lot of misunderstanding what the CTO is supposed to do. A lot of people call CTOs. They're not really CTOs. They're lead developers. You know how companies get started. It's, you know, if it's a, if it's a tech guy or and a business guy, you know, can you do the development? Great. Oh, okay. We're your CTO now. Okay. But, but that's not the role of the CTO. The role of the CTO is to know, love, and understand the product, right? If you, if you're a CTO of the company and you don't, you don't understand the product, you don't understand the market, you're you're definitely missing 90% of the job. You can, however, learn to love the market, right? It's just the responsibility of of embracing the customer that you're building products for lies on you. And I think many times I see CTOs who say, well, they're not doing a good job of giving us enough guidance, whether it be sure. product or marketing, and I think in many cases, in almost all those cases, I would say to the CTO, hey, it's really your responsibility to embrace and own what the company is trying to do. Absolutely. So if you look at, and it also comes a lot of times from the founders who've been from the, from the industry where you're building the startup. So you, you, have, you have this kind of innate hubris that we know better. We know what to build. They just don't know. And we're, as soon as we build, they'll see, they'll see that there is a better way. Kyle and I didn't have that because we were not from the industry. So we basically, it's, it's absolutely mm. a customer-driven company. We'll listen, we'll listen to the customers and uh, we, we absolutely feature number one. And this is, we say this all the time, feature number one of our product is simplicity. 
right? And uh, it's just we won't compromise on that. And we will take as many iterations as it needs to be in order for product to be as simple as it possibly mm. can be. How different is the product today from what it was when you started out? Product product is quite different. So when I just started out, it was just a daily reporting. So in other words, only thing you could really do is on uh, do a work log and also uh, produce a report on the daily basis. Then we we expanded, we added a viral loop and the viral component to the application where not only if you're building large projects, there's only 20% of the project itself that you self-perform as a general contractor. Then you have lots of subcontractors. They come onto the project at different stages because mm. you know, you're know you building things, but mm. then you need a you need a roofer and a tiler, right? So they don't they don't need to be on the project for a very long time. But when they do, you need to keep track of things and things get even more complicated. So we added that component and then we basically repositioned ourselves from daily reporting to a field management solution. We added more workflows like time tracking and that's one of our one of the features that we added throughout the year. So it's it's not just a feature, it's another workflow and you can consider that a separate product. And we're also getting into uh, safety management, which is yet another workflow for construction. So it's becoming from fairly myopic uh, field manage, um, f- fairly myopic daily reporting into a field management solution. The, but from the beginning, your idea was let's leverage the power of a mobile phone That's right. to gather data. Um, so I'm interested in this viral component to bring in the subcontractors. How did you do that? It's realizing how the market is broken down. So if you look at, <clears throat> if you look at the market itself, there is about 21% of the general contractors and there is about 79% of the subcontractors. Interestingly enough, this is exactly how it breaks out in terms of the job. There is 20% you self-perform and 80% somebody else performs it. So if you look at the, from the decisioning point of view, general contractor typically makes a decision in terms of the software we're going to use to track the project, right? Because they're the ones who are responsible. They're the neck to choke for the delivery. But at the same time, they have lots of subcontractors. Now, these subcontractors, if once introduced to the solution, they want once um, they have to use it. But if they like it, they go on onto different projects, not necessarily with this particular uh, general contractor. They but, carry that spark, well, and that's the viral component. And, and, this is, and this is are you seeing you, that? We definitely seen that. So we we saw linear growth. That's awesome. We saw linear growth in terms of general contractors. <clears throat> Um, but then we saw exponential growth in terms of the subcontractors. The reason reason for that is exactly the viral loop where they get invited and they, they just end up keeping the solution for themselves. So if I subcontract on job A, I come into the Raken ecosystem. That's right. And I go to job site B where the GC is not aware of Raken. Is there sort of that uh, upstream that's halo e- effect? That's exactly the halo, uh, halo effect that happens with the uh, subcontractors. They become aware. Um, th- they're aware of the solution, and so they push it from the bottom up. And this is how we see the adoption is actually happening. For some of our smaller clients, even for the lar- uh, from the larger client's perspective, a lot of the adoption happens from the bottom up, very similar to what you would see with video conferencing solution. You and I decide to communicate uh, via video conferencing. You pick it, I pick it, and then we both like it. Then we tell, hey, boss, man, can you get it for us? 
that's exactly how it happens in this particular case. You you have general contractors and oh. they basically pick it up. They they like it uh, from the field perspective. They push the office to purchase um, either an enterprise license or the license for the for the entire company, and then the viral loop kicks in where I. Within my own uh, company, a general contractor invites other superintendents and job foremans that are, you know, remember I said 10-story building, that's 10, 10, uh, 10 uh, superintendents that are responsible for each floor. So that's 10 seats on the solution. So they, they tell others, they tell their peers, and they also tell their subcontractors. Now, a superintendent is in service to the GC, right? Superintendent usually works for the GC. Okay, okay, Superintendent yeah. is basically, it's like a manager. Yeah. It's a manager of the crew, but they're right there on the field. And so your buyer is the, the, the general contracting company, hopefully. That's right. General contractor is a buyer. Sometimes we have subcontractors who are buyers as well if they're, if they're very big or they've been introduced into, uh, mm. to Raken through the viral component. Mm. But... But we we target we specifically target people in the field because this what saves them time. And I see but it, at, yeah. But at the same time, all the cons- consumption of the data and all the all the reporting gets pushed into the office. So the project manager and the project engineer who works on that project can be assured that things are on time. I see a delicious infection rate. I. Everybody loves the viral loop. This is where the multiple goes up significantly, right? Yeah, if you, if your acquisition, if your customer acquisition, look at Slack, look at every company that would be considered a unicorn, they have that viral loop, right? Where where you don't have to do anything as a company to get to get additional customers. Now, was the viral loop something that you were aware of going into Raken, or was it something that manifested itself? in a couple months or years later? I certainly wasn't aware of the dynamic because I didn't know the industry very well. Mm. But as soon as but as soon as I got to know the industry and also we we, we have people from the industry in the company, um our product director is is of the industry. So he, he knows the industry very mm. well. So he was he was responsible for getting our IQ up on the construction industry altogether. And when we discovered, obviously, I was aware of the viral loop and how how does that happen and how does the company go from from a service company to a SaaS company to a viral loop company where it's where it's a completely different multiple for the company. So obviously, I'm always in search of it, but I wasn't aware of it uh, before going into it. So who who in Raken would you say is the strong has the strongest voice of customer right now? Since you have a product director, you're a CPO. Mm-hmm. What the the strongest voice of the customer it's it's customer success or or and or sales. So our customer, I I would consider there's there's really two legs to this business. It's the land, which is basically get the customer and expand. Expand is the customer success portion of our business. Uh, we're a sales driven company, so in other words, sales needs to touch every customer in order to close the deal. But once they do. We rely on these customers expanding within the mm. within the company. So if our software is not good, then the expansion component of it doesn't happen, then the churn happens and the entire business mm. doesn't work. So our customer success is one of the key components of the business. And in fact, our NPS score ranges between seventy to eight uh, between seventy to eighty. That's iPhone territory. I've never heard of 
an application, especially a B2B application, to be in that range. But for us, it's absolutely crucial. Otherwise, the business doesn't work. I saw one of your marketing video success stories on LinkedIn yesterday. Or That's right. We publish qu- quite a few studies and work, uh, we do account-based account marketing and we have lots of customers that are just happy to tell what Reagan has done for them. How... How do you handle disagreements between yourself or in the C-suite or with your product people around the roadmap and the direction? So I'm assuming that you have situations where sales would say to you, if only we had X, we could mm-hmm. do Y. Um, how do you stay true to the roadmap? And how do you sort of keep the tribe focused and sort of harmony, especially when there is strong disagreement about uh, what could help the, cust- uh, the, the customer base grow? Gotcha. So... That's a really good question because that gets into a uniqueness of Reagan and uniqueness of our culture. Um, most of the most of the cultures you see out there are kind of table stakes cultures, which is basically you need to be respectful to your to your coworkers and don't come naked to work. So that that sort of thing. But to me, that's just table stakes, right? <laughs> so you uh, you you know you. No, this that's is what just you common would, sense. This is just common sense. This is what you would expect from people on on the street. So we. We basically, we developed a set of guiding and operating principles. And if you look at our culture, our culture is really not our values. Culture is our actions. And our actions are really all about conflict resolution, is what do you do when conflict arises? Well, you, you want to do one thing, I want to do another. And how do we reconcile? So a lot of you know, general wisdom would, uh, would dictate that the truth lies somewhere in the middle. But that's actually almost never the case. One party is simply wrong. Uh, or if you try to come up with a compromise, you know, it's like a compromise between a submarine and the airplane. Half a submarine, half an airplane can either dive nor, nor it can fly, right? Better off choosing one or the other. So for us, we de- develop a set of guiding principles that basically tell us how exactly we're going to resolve our disagreements. And those centered around to the to the implementer go, goes the benefit of the doubt. Then um, you know we have plus mi- uh, plus one minus one zero system, very similar to open source projects. But here we basically consider minus ones to be blockers. And if you're a blocker, it happens very rarely. You should be zero or one. And a lot of times people are really don't want to block. They just want to say their piece and they they don't want to block. But a lot of times if you don't make it specific. Then it seems like a blocking, you know, a blocking statement or a blocking comment. So a lot of times we just basically we get together just like anybody else. We we state the opinions. You know, we know who's going to be implementing it, so the benefit of the doubt goes there. We also know we're a sales-driven company, so sales ha- has the voice number one, and then mm. CS gets voice number two because those are the two legs of the business. Then there is product and forums with all the product decisioning in terms of market research and what we get. And this is basically how we resolve it. Now, if you want to block a particular decision, then you, you must have two things. One is you need to be prepared to take the execution onto yourself. That's, oh. that's one. Number two, you have to show, which is always difficult because you're basically talking about events that hasn't yet happened. You have to show that things are not going to work and not just say, that, well, they might not work. You actually have to show, and that's pretty tough, right? Mm. Usually you can show that things are not going to work either. We have tried it in the past, or there's just very few instances where it's just obvious, right? And you're just really missing something. So this is how we, this is how we run the business. Mm. 
So I love how you I love how you equate culture to action, and also how really it's about conflict resolution. That's right. What are you doing as CTO to encourage a civil discourse with the the zeros and the plus ones, um, since the minus ones don't really happen that often. Um, especially when you're working with engine, is your engineering team remote or local or? So we have, we have a combination. We have a local engineering team in California. We also have people, uh, we have half the team split up between, um, between New Zealand and Eastern Europe. We're basically covering more or less 24 hours. There's always somebody on. And is New Zealand, was that a st- strategic time zone choice um it was it was one of the choices around the time zone uh, but it uh, also was a couple of people that i worked with in the past and and one specific person and we just kind of built the extension of the company around around him so as as you know you basically you find you find good people and and they then they follow you what city are they in uh they're in auckland auckland okay new zealand's my next destination man you must go it's it's wonderful my brother-in-law is moving there. I feel a little jealous. You know, people started building doomsday shelters as long as you're uh, you're not planning to do that because, you know, they had a legislation about that. Yes, yes. <laughs> Peter Thiel, I think he, he yes, spoiled the, yes. you know, he, he screwed the pooch. <laughs> the, uh, the, the thing about New Zealand is, as a South African, we have a, a very hectic sports rivalry with them. But... It is respectful. Yeah. So I I can't say these words, so I won't, but I respect them. So it's the it, it's the spring <laughs> it's the spring box versus the um the old, old blacks, blacks yes. right? See? You say Thank Americans you. don't know anything about the well, about think, the rest of I the think, world. I, I consider you Ukrainian. There you go. <laughs> do you still speak the language? I do. I do. I I speak Ukrainian. I speak Russian, and uh, you know. But uh, yeah, do I've you, been here for quite some time. Do you have kids? I do. I have three kids. Are you teaching them the language? Yeah, that's uh, you know we consider that to be a competitive advantage. <laughs> do you being do you, uh, being bilingual or the actual Ukrainian? Uh, being, uh, being bilingual. So they, yeah. they haven't learned Ukrainian, they learned Russian, but they're, and also they're, they're learning Hebrew. So it's, you know, it's, it's certainly, and wow. Spanish. So wow. there's, uh, there's definitely, a yeah. How old the, are the kids? Uh, my oldest one is 15 and then we have almost 13 and almost 11. And have they demonstrated mastery of these languages? They have. That's amazing. They they certainly have. So it's a combination of the language speak, spoken at home. Language spoken at home and also uh, having separate, going into separate, uh, taking separate classes, going to separate schools. It's, uh, but I, I feel that just absolute advantage to have and just enriches your world and uh, just makes you a better communicator according to duolingo i am four percent fluent in spanish four percent fluent well it's uh you know it's better than zero percent it used to be zero (laughs) that's right i am learning so my kids are in a spanish immersion school uh i tried really hard to teach my kids afrikaans which is my mother language uh yeah, but I'm it's sure a dying it's language. Tough. I'm I sure mean, it's, it's tough. And there's not a, dog, like a lot two of people. million people who speak it now. Yeah, Afrikaans and and um, but my wife, who is South African, doesn't speak Afrikaans, so our home language is yeah, English, and yeah, so it was a pretty it was a losing battle. Yeah. So now we have them in a Spanish immersion school, 
And but now I have to learn Spanish. That's right. That's how it works. Daddy do, has do, to step are up. Are you able to get your children? What language do they speak to each other? Um, they speak English to each other, but we insist when they're at home they um they speak they speak Russian. Um, at least so they you know to each they, other. they can converse. Yes, they can converse. And it's how pretty su- tough. How successful are it's, you? It's uh, you know it's a touch and go. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in Afrikaans household, and my parents just laid down the law and said we will now speak English to each other going forward. Mm-hmm. And I think. Getting your children to converse in sort of the destination language, language, I think, is supremely powerful. Yeah, it absolutely is. And again, it's just easier for them to, obviously, because they're Americans, it's easy for them to converse in English. But we insist and they, you know, they sometimes they they do, sometimes they don't. When we're not looking, we don't know what's going on. (laughs) So uh, I love the story you told me about your kids asking you about what Raycon does that's right. and if it would give you a special ability. Why don't you tell me that? That's right. So when when I just started uh, working uh, for Raycon, my kids asked me, what, is, what does the company do? And I, I, I explained it to them the best I possibly could. And they were like, okay, so you're going to be building things. I'm like, no, well, not exactly. So they're... Uh, they're they go so we're not getting that uh, that treehouse that you promised. I'm like, well, maybe maybe not now. So they lost interest. But then I told them that uh, um, I'm working next to GoPro, and they're like, oh, GoPro. Uh, <laughs> uh, so they're they're big fans. <laughs> well, I mean, if they're watching those treehouse shows, I mean, none of us can win that battle. No, none of us can. So the expectations are set too high. I won't be able to build anything like that. So I think that's uh you know that's bigger than my first apartment. <laughs> I do know a lot of CTOs who are into woodwork though. I that's think right. the joy of crafting something with your hands if you live in this sort of virtual world. If if I wasn't doing this um and you know being busy and keeping busy all the time and studying and mentoring I I probably would be doing some woodwork. I just I I love that I just never have time to do it. I know, I know. So are you involved in any other, are you advise? you say you're advising? I'm, I'm mostly mentoring. Okay. So mentoring through various incubators and accelerators. And you and mentioned Google speaking. as one of them? That's right. And how does that work? How does that happen? Google has, um, I got invited. So they, they found me founder of the Launchpad incubator inside of Google invited me for the first, for the first cohort. And I just, uh, and I kept getting invited. So I must be doing something right. And uh, there's. It's already. It started out as a single day, almost like a startup weekend, and but it uh, originated in Israel and just kind of made its way across the across the world. And uh, eventually, Google picked it up, and uh, now Google does. Uh, they do global um, launchpad incubator where they have. Um, they go into in countries where Google is, and they do um, they do boot camps there, and and what they call launchpad studio. That's uh, focused more on machine learning. And they also do a global one, which they they bring companies from emerging markets into San Francisco for two-week immersion. And then overall program is about six months. And do you think that all CTOs should should mentor? Like, I, like I, that? Absolutely, I absolutely think so. Now, if I was just simply uh, mentoring on the technology side, I, I don't think they would give as much to the companies and it would not give as much to me. But, you know, if I can diversify into both product and marketing and sales, I, I, can, I can pretty much speak to and, and uh, help companies across the board. 
this really, really helps. It helps the companies, but it also helps me to uh, keep track of what's going on in the market. Mm. Because solving real problems is this is where you get practical knowledge mm. as opposed to a book knowledge. And uh, the company that you sold to Capital One, can you tell us about that? Uh, company was called Pushpoint. It got um, it got founded in San Francisco, and we sold it to Capital One. Um, it was a marketing platform. It was originally integrated into a point of sales um, as a as an offer management system. So basically think of yourself as a small business, you're selling, you're selling donuts, right? And uh, all of a sudden you, uh, you know, you geofenced um, somebody who comes to your, um, to your store all the time. They come in with a coupon, they scan it under the camera and they get a discount. So this was an offer that you could create in the back of the, in the back of the point of sale system the tablet would be tablet or any other system where we would be integrated into. And eventually it got, uh, it, it grown into a full um, marketing platform where you could do not just offers, but you could, you could, you could viral it out and, and do uh, Facebook campaigns and, and display campaigns and Google search campaigns and, and whatnot. And uh, um, Capital One picked it up. So um good question would be like well, why do they need it it's a bank why do they need a marketing system now if you look at capital uh, if you look at capital one capital one has quite a few i think they have 10 million small businesses so they need to offer them something besides the mm. checking account so mm. the they started offering an entire e-commerce suite which is business in the box so if you're brick and, brick and mortar or your online business you would have a component where you could you could have a point of sales and you would have an e-commerce website and you would have and you would have a checking account. And did you go through a post acquisition blues? I I did. I certainly did. Um my first week at Capital One, I think I spent more time in meetings than I did uh my entire time at Pushpoint. And we were certainly more productive, right? So at hand links uh, from the from your customers allowed for us to be freer and execute quicker and didn't have to get as many approvals. Now, as Capital One, you know, as banks go, Capital One is up there with the best of them. Um, but still, it's a bank, right? So the their number one responsibility to make sure that nothing bad happens and we don't we don't mess the trust of our customers because you know you're dealing with money and uh, if you lose the trust then, mm. then you you lost. Mm. And so what about so so I guess because you had an earn out and you walked right into you basically were able to babysit your product into the integration phase into That's Capital right. One. That's right. I have. Yeah, so I guess that helps with the the goodbyes. It does help with the goodbyes and you know you have a sense of abandonment but uh you know, you're not that you've been abandoned, but you're abandoning something no, that true. you really cared about for for a long time. But uh, such is life, right? I uh, I had an exit where I literally the day after I was out, right? And I don't think that's the best way. To, I mean, I'm thankful I didn't have an have an earnout, but wow, man, I I still think about my my baby. Yeah, and you want to call them and like, can I work for you for free? Can I can, <laughs> can I find I? out what what's happening? It's it just sort of. You know, it's the question, would we be doing what we're doing? I, I tell my kids if I had $10 billion, I'd be doing exactly Probably. the same thing what yeah. I'm doing. It's just nothing would change because I believe that it's just, you know, people who do it well, 
they have a need to do it, right? So that's just one of those one of those things. It's just very difficult to kind of develop it over time. You either have it or you don't. Oh. So uh, as we as we sort of end off, I do want to uh, touch on to the. You kind of mentioned to me that the startup formula. There's this four four or five principles that you've learned in your journey. And I'd love for you to kind of walk me through those, if you don't mind. Absolutely. So number again, I I don't I don't have them in order of priority. So there there is there isn't specifically the one that's number one and then number five. But I think all of them are important. So I I would want to start out with um, success is the worst teacher of success. And the you know you see it all the time uh, where people say, well, hey, your competitors are doing something there, you should go copy. Or, hey, this company was successful and uh, you should just emulate what they do. Uh, Google does 20% of, you know, work on whatever you want for, for its employees. But uh, that would not work for every company. Mm. You need to understand that uh, what the company does and what makes it successful is just kind of is part of that omelet, right? It's just oh, very yeah. difficult to pick onions out context, of the. It's just, it has. It's exactly people. right. If you, if you're gonna if you're gonna emulate everybody, then then you likely are gonna fail. So again, in my view, success is the worst teacher okay. of success. It's actually failure has a lot more to teach us than than success does. So that's one. Number two, I felt initially that. That without a business degree, I just can't start a business. Um, and so much so that I went and gotten a PhD in business. Now, I can't say PhD didn't help me understand business. It did, but it didn't help me understand startups. Because the startups, startups is not an expert field. It's an experiential field. You need to go and experience it. That's going to be your education. So that's that's number two. Number three um, idea of a minimal viable product. And um, and also idea of you need to come up with something that's super duper original in order for you to be able to um, have a startup that's amazingly successful. And usually it's the opposite. Mm. So there's a concept of adjacent possible. So the closer you are, and if you're on the rims of adjacent possible, um, which is basically something close to the existing products, you're likely to be more successful. If you're coming up with something totally original, you also, in addition to all the startups problems, you also need to build a market, mm. and that takes mm. and that takes quite a bit. What's of that time. called? Adjacent, adjacent possible. Mm. So there, there, it's it's basically something is already possible, but something adjacent to it is called adjacent possible. Mm. So it's a small extension because then you don't have to go and create the market. You it's just like, have to do something. You better. just have to do something slightly better. Yeah. Now think about adjacent impossible would be like a space elevator. You know, we know what an elevator is, but we, you know, we would need to invent a hundred million things in order for a space elevator to work, right? Oh man, I guess I wanted to kill that idea. I, I guess that <laughs> might, I guess that might not work. What about a fresh fish vending machine? You know, you, uh, you, you're good for the first three hours. So your startup <laughs> is guaranteed not to fail the first, the three, first three hours. <laughs> But then you know you might be uh, you might be in trouble. I think that is uh, that's part of the challenge is when a founder lives in that first three hours and that's they right. con- and they, they convince to, themselves and they go to all the meetups and they go all to these to these all these these um, founding schools 
but they're still only in the first three hours. That's right. And they purposely don't go beyond that because beyond that, there is the cold, hard truth. Yeah, that's right. Beyond that is disappointment. And, you know, none of us... None of us want to, so it's an avoidance strategy. It's, uh, but at the, at the end of the day, you just can't, you know, the, you're either going to get customers or you won't. Those customers either will pay you money or they won't, right? So I think that's, that's ultimately going to be the test. And you, you also said something that I found really interesting was to help reframe uh, a founder's, I have a idea for a product. That's right. And you reframed it in a brilliant way. Yeah, the way the way I'm I'm looking at it. So when when founders ask me, hey, if they tell me about the idea and they say, is this idea gonna work? And I base I I ask them. I put the I I turn this around and I say, is idea even clear enough for it to work? Right? Is the solution? It's the idea and the solution clear enough where it has a chance of working? A lot of times you just, you get things which are too vague. They're mm. not well-defined and they're, you know, there's a lot of ands mm. in it. You can do this and this and this and mm. this. Usually that, that's an indication mm. that it's just not going to work. Or, or is the problem well-defined enough? Is the problem well-defined enough? Be blinded. Is there a clarity? Yeah, you can be blinded by, I have a solution, solution and I have an idea problem. of the problem, but I, the problem isn't clear. That's right. Problem is not is not really clear. Is not well defined. When the problem is clear, half of the solution to that problem is is already is already there. An interesting experience I had with that was I had this brilliant idea of helping homeowners associations, mm-hmm. and I thought that the problem was how do we route issues to the right people. That's right. And and great. I created a mobile app. I created a backend. I created a little bit of uh, AI for image recognition and classification. And, um, and great. I had the prototype and, and then I realized I, I had no idea what the problem was. Problem wasn't that I didn't, that issues weren't being routed correctly. The problem was no one wanted to deal with the issues. That's right. So all I did was I created something that poured fuel onto a fire and it didn't actually help distinguish the fire yeah and didn't solve the and, problem and subsequently i can't stand hoas right now <laughs> one of the one of the interesting things and this i see this from from technical co-founders all the time it's the people cling to what they know and they know the best and so developers develop and so they start developing that is exactly what i do where were you when i needed that advice that's right. You just have to find me. How do how do you how do you bride how do you bridle those technical co-founders who just? Yeah, I had a long conversation with the founder yesterday, and I felt like the whole time I was just saying, "Resist the urge to go mm-hmm. and build this thing." You have to use Zapier and Google Sheets and Typeforms, right. and just go do that, and build the real business, and the technical solution will reveal itself. Mm-hmm. But they all come thinking. I have a technical startup. I want to build a SaaS company, so I have to have a technical solution. Well, I feel like that is ten percent of the problem. So, if you look at the if you look at the value that's been delivered in the company, then um, scalable platform and IP that's going to get built, it's going to be beyond the point where you are going to beyond the point you're going to die if you don't have money. So, in order for you to get the money, you need to you need to fake it until you make it. You need to fake it until you become it. And becoming the part, it's the building part, it's the scaling part. So you can't can jump into that into that portion. 
And technical people tend to do that because if they don't, then why are they there? So I think that's why understanding that you you need to if you're a technical co-founder, you need to know, love, and understand the product. Mm. You need to go and learn the market. Mm. You need to know the people you're building the solutions mm. for. So you should shouldn't think of yourself in technical terms. So you should you should think of yourself product and market. I terms. love it. And and one of the key tenants that I sort of help CTOs with is the timing issue. Like it's all about timing. Like you need to understand the market understand your budget your fund to know when to solve which problem and how is it going to what is the f- least amount of friction you can you will have if i insert it now versus next year versus you know five years from now yeah it's the difference between building a half a boat and versus building a smaller boat so you need to first concentrate <laughs> on building a smaller boat half a boat is not going to help you <laughs> <laughs> love that is that a an analogy from a different language nope no, oh, that's man. Uh, maybe it is, but uh, you know that's sort of how I think of it. <laughs> I love talking to people who have uh, idiom, idioms from other languages, and then they translate it, and, and it's it profound. Just, <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> so know, that's key, how it is. So tracking through the list of um, principles, you also say that raising too much money. That's right. That's the lost. That's the lost component of it. Um, with my first startup, we raised way too much money, and uh, this was again. Usually, on your first startup, you make all kinds of mistakes, and and I thought I was going to make a lot less of them because because I already had a PhD, but that didn't help, right? So I, we raised too much money and bought other companies and went far and wide without the focus, and so made every possible mistake. And and again, raising. Raising money, you sort of, when you keep raising money, you keep thinking that, that that's going to go on forever. That's one. Number two, if people keep giving you money, there must be something good that you're doing, which is, which is all, all misleading mm. and all self-defeating. It can, can give you a false sense of... Yeah, false I'm sense the... that you're doing well, right? Then you kind of realize, well, I'm not in the business of building yeah. the product. I'm yeah. in the business of raising money from investors. Convincing people around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, that's a, a, and that's a... Um, and that seems to be the universal high five is I raised X millions of dollars. You know, um, I, I don't remember who said that, but congratulating a founder with raising money, it's similar to congratulating a chef from, um, <laughs> with buying ingredients, <laughs> right? It's, uh, you bought some tomatoes. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> but my tomatoes are from Italy. That's right. They're the best tomatoes there And then what can. about, um, you mentioned something about being mentally fit. Um, that that's another thing. I I'm not sure what number that is, but um, that's number five. That that would be number five, I guess. <laughs> and uh, being physically and mentally fit is one of the key things you could do for for uh, your startup success. Because as a founder, it's just it's easy to run yourself rugged. That's mm. uh, you know eighty hour weeks and mm. uh, it's constant stress. It's constant stress from you know the stress you know, stress you put on yourself and pressure you put on yourself and pressure from the board and the pressure from everybody you know and uh, to be more successful than you really are and it's just all those pressures they they uh, they can crush you and so you need to be you need to be physically and mentally fit in order for you to uh, to run a successful mm. and so personally what do you do do you i i i work out i i swim i <clears throat> i i do a number of different things um because sports mm. i i feel it just uh, takes away a mm. lot of that stress mm. and and I read a lot and I have lots of interest outside of technology. I think that's just kind of keeps my brain fresh. And I also continue to study. Mm. It's just one of those things that kind of keeps me, keeps me grounded. There's more stuff and to learn. And you're raising three kids. 
That's right. Well, kids keep being grounded too. So it's just, they're talking about the strain on the on mental health. <laughs> we have three, and uh, goodness gracious. Yeah, it's uh, you know we we just uh, we broke the cardinal rule of uh, having kids. It's uh, don't get outnumbered. <laughs> <laughs> well, the issue for me is the intra the, contention. That's right. So to me, three it's a perfect idiom to uh, having three kids. It's the same thing as the stages you go through as a manager. You first you first hire one person and then there's a dynamic between you and that person then you hire two people and then there's a dynamic between those two people and you and then there is you you hire three people and then there's <laughs> Off the and charts. then there's the, dynamic the combinations are the, limitless the, the, that's exactly right well technically it's finite but wow it certainly it's definitely, feels it's definitely finite but to me <sighs> if you managed to, if you can manage 3000 three people you can manage 3000 <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, briefly i have i have a couple friends who have many kids Six plus, and independent verification here that the hardest number was from two to three. Yeah, no, I, I, I would. They're like I after that, it's like six, that's, seven, eight. Who cares? Yeah, that's that's right. And they they start to take care of each other, and plus the dynamics don't change. There's still gonna be some camps, and there's. <laughs> Uh, you know, kids are going to uh, be ganging up on each other. It's just that. So uh, to end off, what you are n- neatly positioned in Carlsbad, Carlsbad and OC to kind of have a, a take on the SoCal vibe, tech vibe. Do you have any observations? Uh, I, LA versus I San do, Diego. I, I certainly, I certainly do. Not necessarily between LA and San Diego. Uh, you would, you know, if you if you look at the large markets for the startups, you, you have obviously Silicon Valley, and it's difficult to touch that. And then, then you have uh, LA, which definitely has tipped with Silicon Silicon Beach in twenty twenty eleven or there thereabouts. And San Diego is another area which which I feel is going to tip. Uh, the investment the investment has doubled from the last year. I think this year has been two point nine billion dollars, and a uh, year prior it was one point five. So I feel that's another area that's going to tip. But I feel that SoCal um, startup ecosystem, it's much healthier than Silicon Valley. You don't see a lot of that incestuous mm. thing that, that you do in Silicon Valley. And uh, it's just a lot easier to hire and there's a lot less entitlement. So my, my take on the ecosystem, it's much healthier. Mm, great. Well, this was amazing. Thank you so much Thank for you, having Sergey. me. This was amazing. Thank ETN, you. Thank really you so much. It. Cheers, man. Thank you. Have you chatted with a CTO lately? Hi, thank you for listening to the CTO Studio. If you don't mind, take a quick second and please rate and review the show. It helps us a lot. Go to thectostudio.com for more information on what we're doing at 7CTOs. We also have a video or two for you that could be a helpful resource for you as you're managing your company. So thank you for listening.